0: You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast.
1: Why pay more for a separate CoQ10 supplement? Enjoy twice the benefits with Super Beats Heart Chews Advanced. From the number one doctor, pharmacist, and cardiologist recommended beat brand for heart health support, the new Super Beats Heart Chews Advanced by Human is now infused with CoQ10. That's essentially like getting CoQ10 for free. Our powerful blend of beetroot, Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at BeatTheStigma.org.
2: Welcome to Monster Talk, the science show about monsters. I'm Blake Smith. Karen's out this week chasing yaoi's and drop bears. I'll be at Dragon Con in Atlanta this weekend doing a couple of panels on Saturday for the horror track. And then I'll be at CryptidCon in Kentucky the week after talking about some of the same topics as in this episode. Science and Monsters. With recent and upcoming appearances in some less skeptical venues, I thought it would be useful to take some time to reflect on the recurring themes of this show, some lessons learned, and what lies ahead in the future of Monster Talk.
3: It's
0: actually
1: quite unlike anything we've ever seen before. A giant hairy creature, part ape, part man. In Loch Ness, a 24 mile long bottomless lake in the highlands of Scotland, it's a creature known as the Loch Ness Monster.
2: Monster Talk. I love monsters. That's not to say I'd love being attacked by an actual monster, but the very idea of monsters has long filled me with an incredible mix of thrill and dread. I began planning Monster Talk back in June of 2009 when the TV show Monster Quest was on the air. Monster Quest, like many TV shows on what you might call fringe topics, typically enthusiastically covered the mysteries behind such topics, ran a subplot where monster hunters would try and find the monster of the week, And would include five minutes or so of a scientist talking about what science can tell us about these creatures if they exist. That five minutes was the part I wanted to see more. I love monsters, but after 30 years of reading about them and looking for them and hoping to find one, I wanted to know what was scientifically plausible. So we began our own quest via this show, and early on, the science guests we sought out were often people who had appeared on Monster Quest and were disappointed at how little of their message had made it onto the screen. Our very first guest was the Mohawk primatologist and DNA researcher, Dr. Todd Dishotel. In the intervening years, Todd has been on several times and brought us news, not just of Bigfoot research, but also advances in the way DNA analysis has been improving. He's also ditched the Mohawk. When we began the show, I figured the only way to get Bigfoot DNA, if it existed, would be to find a body or hairs with roots intact. That was just one of the many things I've learned I was wrong about while doing this show a good sample of DNA can reveal much about the creature that left it. The more DNA found, the better, but even small samples can be chemically amplified to help analysis. The strings of the DNA molecules are mixed uniquely for every living thing, but huge chunks match up to help identify the species of a sample. If you have a good sample, you can compare this to a bank of living creatures whose genomes have been cataloged. This will tell you what kind of animal you've got or what animal is closely related to. If Bigfoot is a real animal, Thus far, no conclusive DNA evidence has been found. But if we did get such a sample, we would expect it to closely align with other primate DNA markers. So a finding of an unknown primate living in the United States would be a very, very strong evidence of the existence of Bigfoot. A very recent episode on naming monsters revealed the complex process required for science to recognize a new species. This is applicable to any monster of natural origins that we want to see science accept as real. At least one, but preferably more than one body would need to be obtained. One would become what they call a holotype specimen, the template sample against which all other remains would be compared. Extensive measurements and detailed write-ups of the species features would be published, and a formal naming complying with the rules of Scientific Linnaean Naming Convention would be applied. So science has a very formal way of recognizing the reality of a monster. But in the course of this show's more than 130 episodes, we've also talked about monsters whose identity doesn't seem to comport with the laws of the natural world. Werewolves have always been a favorite monster of mine. I don't know what my first werewolf movie was, but I suspect it was Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein. This was a terrific movie to safely introduce me to the Wolfman, Count Dracula, and the Frankenstein monster. It was also one of those movies that had a title which made the monster seem like it was supposed to be Frankenstein, when in reality the creature has no name. It's good to get that monster nerd power activated early on in one's life. We had only been doing the show for a few episodes when, while searching for some interesting take on science and werewolves, I came across a talk by Dr. Brian Regal. Provocatively titled, Darwin Killed Off the Werewolf, the paper alleged that Charles Darwin's theory of evolution through natural selection had changed the world's acceptance of magical thinking in regards to how morphological changes propagate through species. In short, Darwin's explanation of a naturalistic method for the greatest mystery in biology at that time led to a rejection of magical transformations by science and eventually by the general public. We were hardly done with werewolves. What some feel is the greatest evidence for werewolves is the case of the Beast of Gévaudan. In a multi-part episode, we talked about the facts of the Gévaudan case the actual risks of being eaten by wolves, and how the silver bullet became part of the legend of that case. It's still some of my favorite work we've done on this show, but I think within those episodes one can piece together a very compelling story about the rise of tabloid media, the real hazards of wolves in a simple agrarian culture during wartime, and how legends become modified over time by the injection of new elements. This work led to our show receiving a Parsec Award in podcasting. Of course, we can't talk about half wolf, half man monsters without considering chimeras and other hybrid creatures. We returned to an episode of Monster Quest that talked about the legend of the Soviet Union's Humanzy Project across humans and apes. It's a strange legend, and whatever the truth of it, no humanzies appear to have been created. But what would be possible now with genetic code injections and the amazing CRISPR technology for gene therapy? Could we make new kinds of humans? Would such people be able to carry their traits to new generations? What prevents this from happening? As a non-scientist, digging into how grant proposals work, how ethical oversight works, how gene therapy can be limited to non-sex cells, and many other factors that I had never considered before became part of the conversation. As scary as hybrids may sound, there are huge obstacles to science gone mad, and that famous photo of a mouse with an ear growing out of it is not what it seems to be. We're safe, for now. Sea monsters remain the most plausible of the cryptids to me. The ocean's huge and full of mysteries, and for many legends there may well be, or have been, corresponding real animals behind them. The astonishing oarfish, many grotesque types of sharks, whale penises, and peculiar turtles are often brought up as explanations. But whether it's the decline of ocean liner travel or the increase in good portable cameras that allow one to check one's perception, there seem to be fewer of these sightings lately. Blobsters, the enormous gelatinous piles of biomass which wash ashore may be well-remains. But we've finally gotten some live footage of the legendary giant squids which have fueled fear of nautical travel ever since Jules Verne's 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. And before that, honestly. On our show, we've talked with Darren Nash and Charles Paxton about krakens, seals, sea monks, and other curiosities of the watery depths. Science and math have much to say about some of the stuff that may lie beneath the ocean waves. Folklore is the birth canal for monsters. we discussed the field of study of folklore itself, its motifs, its patterns, the way information changes over time, the symbolic importance of the stories, and of course, the way that stories often hijack the original facts of a case for their own purposes. This metamorphic property of folklore has impacted some monsters more brutally than others. In the mid-1990s, the Chupacabra was a very specific little humanoid, alien-looking creature with spines on its back. In his book, Tracking the Chupacabra, Ben Radford showed how closely the creature in the film species comports with Case Zero of the Chupacabra, the description of eyewitness Madeline Tolentino. But by the present, stories of the Chupacabra are almost exclusively pointing to a hairless canid. That transformation is not unique to this monster, and the value of going back to the original eyewitness accounts before describing a monster is a recurring theme on our show. We also took some time to learn more about these hairless dogs and the strange ways that hairless creatures, whether caused by mite induced mange or the waterlogged post-mortem effects as seen in carcasses like the Montauk monster, can render mundane animals into monsters in the eyes of witnesses. The process for identifying such corpses, usually as simple as getting a competent bone expert to use their skill of comparative osteology to accurately ID the species, can be quite fun in online discussions. But you will see many more people willing to share their opinion than just those with the skills to make accurate conclusions. We looked to the skies over Papua New Guinea to learn about the legendary cryptid known as the Ropin. And we talked about their prehistoric counterpart, the winged reptiles called pterosaurs. Dr. David Martill talked about the current information we have about these ancient winged creatures, which once soared above prehistoric landscapes. He also informed us that pterosaurs are a poor match for the animals described in Ropin reports and also hinted that there seemed to be an agenda in cryptozoology that suggested finding some living fossil animal was somehow supposed to overturn Darwin's theory of evolution by means of natural selection. It wouldn't do any such thing, but this has been a recurring theme as we've looked at various cryptids, especially those such as Mokele Mbembe, the legendary sauropod of the Congo, but even or Champ, famous lake monsters sometimes described as being similar to Mesozoic marine reptiles.
0: Com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for a hundred healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold.
2: We've discussed famous hoaxes which have captured people's imagination in past decades, such as the Cardiff Giant, the Fiji Mermaid, and the Minnesota Iceman. These hoaxes don't prove that such monsters are not real but they do provide insight into how people process stories of fantastic claims. As the shows progressed, I've become more intrigued with the limits of human perception and have come to realize that our faith in our own ability to recall things is highly unreliable, despite it being good enough to get us through our daily lives most of the time. The whole field of psychology is full of fascinating discoveries about biases and behaviors and limitations in our senses that are not well known in the general public. Viewing that information through the lens of monster hunting has been quite informative to me and hopefully to our listeners. Of course, a show like Monster Talk had to talk about supernatural creatures, so we've tackled ghosts, vampires, witches, and other things that go bump in the night. Our research into the paranormal superstars Ed and Lorraine Warren served as a sobering counterpoint to the big screen versions and book versions of their tales. Devil dolls like Annabelle make for good movie thrills, but when you see a Raggedy Ann doll in a glass case, it's not quite so menacing. I produce Monster Talk in Kennesaw, Georgia, not terribly far from where they make the show The Walking Dead. Zombies are definitely one of my favorite creatures, and we wanted to talk about how zombies might work, so we had on Dr. Steven Schlossman, a neurologist and novelist whose zombie autopsies book, imagined a disease that might make for some of the symptoms. But we also talked about the reasons why zombies can't be real in this George Romero style. Though there are zombies in nature, so we tackled them too, with many weird examples of how creatures have evolved to hijack the brains and behaviors of yet other creatures, turning them into mindless helpers for an agenda absolutely not in their own best interest. Zombie ants, caterpillars, and roaches and rats are real enough, and there's certainly other examples out there to be found. We've talked about golems and thylacines, yetis, demons, a talking mongoose, jinn, poltergeists, robots, Slenderman, tulpas, giant snakes, the Mongolian deathworms, and many, many more. And everywhere we could, we've tried to inject science and critical thinking into the mix. Hopefully, we've also entertained you. I've got many more episodes in mind. Some of them are being actively researched, and others are just named on a list. But hopefully, we'll be doing Monster Talk for many years to come. If you're new to the show, I hope you'll check out our back catalog at monstertalk.org or on your favorite podcast aggregator. The show's free and I hope it will always be free. It was only reluctantly that I added a pitch for Patreon support at the end of the show each week. But you listeners have been amazingly supportive and Karen and I truly appreciate it. Your Patreon support and PayPal donations are the only reason I'm able to attend CryptidCon this year, and I really appreciate that. Just as I was preparing to go, I had my truck checked out and discovered I needed new tires and new brakes. Yikes but these things happen and at least I'll be in a safe vehicle as I head up to Kentucky in two weeks. And I'll keep an eye out for Bigfoot. I don't expect to see him, but like any good skeptic, I like to keep an open mind. Monster Dog. I'm Blake Smith, and this update covers some of the topics I'll be talking about at Crypticon on September 10th, 2017 in Frankfort, Kentucky. If you're there and listen to the show, I hope you'll say hello. And if you're coming to this show after hearing me talk, I hope I did a good job and that you'll check out our back catalog and our future episodes. Monster Talk is an official podcast of Skeptic Magazine. The opinions expressed in this episode are my own and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of Skeptic Magazine or the Skeptic Society. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Monster Talk. Each episode, we strive to bring you the best in monster-related content with a focus on bringing scientific skepticism into the conversation. If you enjoy Monster Talk, we now have a variety of ways to support the show, all with convenient links at monstertalk.org forward slash support. That's monstertalk.org forward slash support. There we have links to our Patreon pages as well as a donation button. A great way to support the show is to buy us books from our Amazon Monster Talk wish list, which directly helps us with our research. We love used books very much, so don't feel compelled to buy new ones. And we love Kindle, and we can share our digital library with each other. Finally, without spending any money at all, you can support us by leaving a positive review at iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Positive reviews help keep us visible in iTunes, which is a great way to help us find new listeners. And please, share our show on your favorite social media platforms.
0: Attention all listeners. We are hearing reports from all over Kentucky that something big is happening. Strange creatures have been seen roaming the hills. Goblins emerging from caves. A goat man was spotted near a train trestle. There have even been sightings of an 8-foot-tall humanoid creature covered in hair. What's going on in the Bluegrass State? To find out, you will need to go to CryptidCon, Bigfoot, Monsters, and Legends. Head on over to Frankfort, Kentucky, September 9th and 10th. At CryptidCon, you will meet Cliff and Bobo from Finding Bigfoot, Nick Groff from Paranormal Lockdown, and Ghost of Shepherdstown. You'll learn from top researchers in the field, Warren Coleman, Lyle Blackburn, Stan Gordon, and many more. CryptidCon will be an action-packed weekend with vendors, seminars, and even a Bigfoot hunt. Go to www.cryptidcon.com for all the details.
2: If you'd like to learn more about skeptic topics, you might also enjoy doing it in Las Vegas. Here's Barry Carr of CSI to tell you about the 2017 convention.
3: Hi, my name is Barry Carr, and I'm here with Tom Flynn and Jim Underdown, talking about the uh, upcoming Scicon conference this October in Las Vegas. So, uh, Tom, Jim, what are you uh, you looking forward to coming out to SciCon?
4: I cannot wait. I will be hosting the disco party on Saturday night, and it's is it a zombie disco party?
3: If you want to dress as a zombie, that's fine. That's what we're building it as a costume party. So come as you like.
4: Yeah, and uh, we're actually going to have cash prizes, and uh, dancing, and
3: drinks. Is it true that the grand prize will be a big bowl of brains? Well, leaving the brains and the zombies aside, this is a uh, conference with some heavyweights in the skeptical community. For instance, we have Richard Dawkins, Lawrence Krauss, James Randi, Eugenie Scott. The list actually goes on and on. We have almost 40 speakers coming or more. We have workshops, of course, entertainment, as we mentioned. Anything you particularly want to see?
4: Uh, my dear friend uh, Richard Wiseman will be here, also from the UK, author of Quirkology. I can't wait to see him.
3: And don't forget Richard Saunders from Australia. It's going to be Richards busting out all over. It's the richness of Richards. <laughs> it absolutely yeah. is.
4: I'll be gambling, too, at some point. No, no, skeptics weekend.
3: do not gamble. Uh, but I, skeptics well, don't gamble. I we know the odds. We I don't have, do that. If, if my experience last year is any indication, no, no, skeptics no. do not gamble, skeptics win i have a Some system
4: Harry. <laughs> i have a system that is guaranteed to win i'm going to grab a stack of chips and run
3: <laughs> there That's you go <laughs> okay the uh, new yorker writer maria konnikova is going to be oh, yeah. receiving the uh, ballas award for critical thinking for her most recent book right the confidence and- game yeah maria it was a speaker last year she spoke about the confidence game last year this year she's talking about her new book which is about luck uh, so what, what what better her better talk about luck
4: She'll right. vindicate me. The skeptical toolbox people will be there. Ray Hyman, Jim Elcock, Harriet Hall.
3: And speaking of skeptics groups that are coming, we have the Skeptics Guide to the Universe. The whole uh, the whole show, the whole crew is coming this year. It seems a little skeptic heavy, don't you think, this conference? This is the Skeptics Heavyweight Event of the Year. It so, does yes, not get better than it this. It does not get better than this. So we hope to see you there. It's uh, October 26th to the 29th at the Excalibur Hotel. It's the, the one that looks like the big castle. You know, you'll see it when you fly into the airport you see the towers Rapunzel's there. It's the one that looks like the Walt Disney opium dream. So come check us out in Las Vegas.
2: Monster Talk theme music is by Pete Stealing Monkeys. Thanks again for listening.